Is Kentucky about to pick up another big-time recruit? We talk about that on today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. Are the Wildcats about to get another big-time recruit? Not a five-star on the basketball recruiting trail, but a four-star center, Ugunna Kingsley. Going to talk about him, break him down in just a second. Later on in the show, going to talk about ESPN's FPI. I know, I know, we make fun of it on the show here quite a bit, but we're going to dive into what ESPN's FPI thinks about Kentucky's football season. Going to go through game by game. And then finally, to wrap things up briefly, going to talk about Kentucky basketball's future roster. I want to kind of dive into what Kentucky's doing on the recruiting trail right now, who they're going after quickly, and then just kind of look at the roster and what some of the needs are going to be and why Kentucky is trying to build a super class right now. After you look at like what Kentucky needs, I think it makes a lot of sense what Cal's doing on the recruiting trail right now. So make sure you're subscribed on YouTube if you're watching there. We are almost to 1,900 subscribers, trying to get to 2K before basketball season. Pretty confident we're going to do it. Pretty confident we're going to do it. All right, let's get into it. Ugunna Kingsley, talked about him before on the show. Four-star center out of Putnam. Yeah, I want to say Putnam uh, because of because of the uh, southern accent uh, that I have occasionally. Putnam, Connecticut. August 1st is when Kingsley is announcing his commitment. 24-7 sports recruiting analyst Travis Branham put in a crystal ball for Kingsley recently, predicting him to go to the Wildcats. Branham said that he likes Kentucky's chances. Uh, that is per Cat's Paws on 24-7 Sports on three. Also gives Kentucky a 97.2% chance to land this kid. Really, really excited about this guy. So we initially thought that Kentucky's center, their big man in the 2023 recruiting class, was going to be uh, was going to be Aaron Bradshaw. And then as things went on, we kind of heard, well, maybe he's looking at other options. Maybe he's looking at potentially finding a spot in the G League. So I, I think that Kentucky's not moved on from him. I definitely think that they're 100% in the race for Bradshaw right now, based on what I know. But, you know, if they get Kingsley, they get Kingsley. And it looks like they're going to get this kid. Again, a 97.2% chance to land this guy, according to on three Initially, this kid was in the 2023 recruiting class. We noted that when we talked about him on the show previously. He is now reclassified to the 2022 class per Joe Tipton of On3. Kentucky, Oklahoma, and Oklahoma State have all hosted this kid on official visits. I believe, actually, his most recent, um, his most recent visit was to the Oklahoma Sooners. But I believe that the Wildcats are going to eventually pick this kid up. 24-7 Sports, the analysis on this kid, I'm just going to read you directly what one of their uh, recruiting analysts had to say about him. Kingsley has great defensive instincts, moves well laterally, and is a proven shot blocker that challenges everything at the rim. Offensively, Kingsley still has room to improve, but is a powerful finisher at the rim with a soft touch, which brings him a lot of intrigue to college coaches. So I went, and as I normally do, I uh, went and watched some film on him, went and watched some highlight tape, saw what he did, and 
I, I immediately thought of what we talked about on yesterday's show. So we were talking about Justin Edwards, the most recent addition to Kentucky's 2023 recruiting class, and talking about how well-rounded he is, talking about how he's an all-round type of guy. And when you go and watch his highlight tape, when you go and watch most kids' highlight tapes, it's usually them one, doing one or two things really, really well. With Justin Edwards, it was interesting because it's like, oh, well, he can literally do quite, uh, quite literally everything. The scouts are right. He can facilitate. He can shoot at all three levels. And he can play really solid defense. This kid, it's one of those, you get two, you get two things that he's really, really good at. He's really, really good at blocking shots. Really, really good at dunking the basketball. My analysis of this kid, he plays very tense and is a great anticipator at the rim. He's really, really tense, really bunched up in his shoulders, always anticipating things defensively at the rim. Uh, defensively, very, very sound. I mean, for, for a kid that is, uh, I believe, during these highlights, what, 17, 18 years old, really, really young guy, very, very good when it comes to anticipating and timing uh, blocking shots at the rim offensively also feels a little impatient at times, but I, I maybe I think that's just his playing style after watching him uh, through several videos. I think his playing style is just kind of anticipatory, just kind of waiting for the ball to get to him for him to either block it or to catch it and immediately shoot it. He's actually caught nice shooting form for a six eleven big man. I saw him take one three uh, in a highlight video that I saw. I don't think he's going to be really uh, taking many outside shots. I don't think the Wildcats are going to trust him if they do get him to take some outside shots, but his free throw form is actually pretty nice. Again, I, I think what this kid brings to the table, his best asset is blocking shots at the rim. You have to go watch some highlights of this kid on YouTube. He is ridiculous uh, around the rim. Just He is just a menace. Every single shot that came his way, it wasn't like a, it wasn't like a typical high school block. I mean, he was snatching that thing or sending it uh, across the timeline. It was, it was ridiculous, uh, some of the things that he did in his, uh, his highlight real offensively though 24 7 sports is is right as they normally are he has a really hard time establishing himself in the paint in my opinion he wasn't really able to move or work his way towards the rim often on, on post-ups I think that has to do with his frame uh six foot 11 195 pounds not the biggest kid uh, again really really solid defensively but was not the most physically dominant in post-ups what he was normally doing whenever he would catch it on the blocker, he'd catch it in the paint. He would immediately spin out of it, or he would resort to kind of like taking a little floater or a fadeaway or a hook. He wouldn't try and challenge the the, the defense normally. He did it occasionally, and he, he was able to finish through contact. But he didn't really challenge defenses trying to back them down and post touches. I think that's something that he could work on if he does add a little weight. I think he I think he could really work well in sets where Kentucky tries to force the defense to front uh, the post. I definitely think I could definitely see Kentucky in the future trying to work through sets and trying to lob things over to this kid. When we looked at Kentucky, or excuse me, when we looked at Kansas last year, when we were breaking down film on uh, on their offense and what they like to do, one of the biggest things that they like to do is they like like to run sets where they're looking constantly for a post touch where the defense is overcommitted and they they're fronting the big man. So what Kansas will do is they'll work it around, they'll work it around, they'll run it to different people, and they'll lob it over, get an easy bucket. I think this kid could work really, really well in sets like that where you just kind of see if you can get him facing the basket to make a move instead of having his back to the basket as a traditional big man. Uh, that's probably where his offense would work best early on if, again, if the Wildcats or whoever gets him uh, is, to, uh, is to pick him up. He could also probably work well, really well in pick-and-roll action. I'm saying all these things essentially saying 
I think he could work well in the post with his back to the basket. I think that there are, he could definitely round that a part of his offensive game out. But I really, really like what he was doing whenever he had opportunities to kind of get into the lane and to test his shot in the paint, not directly at the rim. Of course, again, he really he, he's six foot eleven, uh, can finish through the contact, can dunk, really, really solid. But again, his offensive game has time to grow. I couldn't really find any stats on this kid outside of what he did at the FIBA World Cup qualifiers. Didn't really play a whole lot. Averaged what? I, I can pull it up here actually. Thirteen point four minutes per game over the course of two games. You know, he shot solid. Shot almost sixty percent from the field. Uh, averaged seven points a game. Average one and a half blocks per game, three and a half rebounds per game. Nothing special. I, nothing that I could really dig into, to be honest with you. But yeah, really, really solid four-star kid. I like this guy. I definitely think that he could be valuable for the Wildcats. You know, when we've done recruiting breakdowns on on this show, and we've kind of gone through, and I've watched these guys, and you've probably gone and watched highlight tapes, and we've all formulated opinions. There are some guys I'm just like, Okay, that works well at the high school level. That may work well at the college level, but it may not work well consistently. I'm looking for guys that can be not dominant, but I mean, it's Kentucky. I'm looking for guys to be dominant. And this is one of those kids that I think if you give him time to develop his offensive game, he could be a pretty dominant center for the Wildcats. I like this, I like this potential pickup. Again, all signs point to him going to Kentucky, being the fourth addition to this 2023 recruiting class, working its way up potentially to the number one spot in the recruiting rankings by the time everything is all said and done again. Probably no Aaron Bradshaw, uh, but we will see what happens there. All right, before we dive into ESPN's FPI and what it has to say about Kentucky season, interesting stuff there, I want to tell you guys about our friends over at BetOnline.net. BetOnline.net is the fastest and easiest way to check in on all of your betting needs. You can find all of your favorite sports and events at the number one online source for odds, lines, and games, you can find reviews and news of every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, Eden sports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the number one top online source for all of your sports wagering information. From live in-game betting, scores, and podcasts, they have you covered. You can head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends and the action. That is BetOnline where the game starts. All right, moving along here on the Wednesday edition of Locked On Kentucky, Lance Dahl here with you. So ESPN's FPI, as we noted on yesterday's show, there are some days where statistically I'm like, yeah, I understand the formula. I understand what they're doing. I understand how they go about things, how ESPN goes about things. And then there are some days where it's just like, there's no way... This form, that mathematic formula could come to that conclusion. What is it smoking? Whatever it's smoking, I want some of it. But today we're going to go through Kentucky's schedule. What is predicted by ESPN's FPI? I'm going to take a real quick sip of the unnamed no brand water here. Sometimes you got to do that a little bit out of breath today. I have no idea why. First game of the season for the Kentucky Wildcats against the Miami Red Hawks. Miami of Ohio. That's the first game of the season. Kentucky has a 93.3% chance to win this game, according to ESPN's FPI. This one I don't really have a whole lot to say on. I'm kind of confused as to why Miami gets 6.7% in this game. I know that Kentucky has not been phenomenal 
uh, in season openers. At least they've not like consistently blown teams out of the water recently. But this is a Miami team that went seven and six last year. I'm not really expecting a whole lot out of this game other than for Kentucky to go out there and just kind of do what they do and, and catch a dub. So yeah, 93.3%. I would probably want that higher, 96, 97. That's just me though. All right, the second game, according to ESPN's FPI, this is one that I get, but also I don't. So second game of the season, for those of you that don't know, is at Florida. It's a 6 o'clock game. It's going to be on ESPN. It's going to be awesome, especially if Florida wins that game one against Utah. Both these teams might be ranked. Who knows? One of these teams is going to be ranked for sure, and it's probably going to be Kentucky. But according to ESPN's FPI, their, their uh, matchup predictor gives Florida a very, very slight edge. 51.1% is the, uh, is the likelihood that Florida wins this game, according to ESPN, their football power index. Uh, I'm probably seeing this uh, through blue and white checkered glasses, guys, but I think if it were me uh, and, and I was running a mathematics-based system, I would probably not find Florida winning that game 51% of the time. I think, if anything, it should swing slightly in Kentucky's favor when you look at what's returning on the roster, statistically what both of these teams did well last season and what they could be projected to do this year. You know, I, I just think that Kentucky, top to bottom, coaching staff included, again, it's it's easy to knock a first-year head coach and a first-year staff when you haven't seen him perform. But if again, if we're going off of speculation or if we're just project, projecting here, if we're using a mathematical formula, you would like to think that things would lean the direction of the team that brings back more, the team that arguably has more talent, the team that has been more consistent as of late. And the team, I, I, it, it just makes more sense to me to say that Florida loses that game. And if we're going to put a, we're, we're going to put a statistical projection on it. I'm surprised that it leans 51% in favor of the Gators. All right. Third game of the season, uh, Youngstown, Youngstown state. Uh, this is a pretty easy one. 98.2% in favor of the Wildcats. That makes sense. there. Northern Iowa game four, 95.1% in favor of the Wildcats. Again, I don't really know what NIU or Miami of Ohio or Youngstown State really brings to the table to not make a prediction there, 99.9% or 98% for any of those games. But okay, okay. It, it, it apparently thinks that Kentucky, their only loss so far will be to Florida, and that is a very, very close coin flip type of game. All right, you look at game five at Ole Miss. This is one that I actually disagree with. Uh you know, we can look at formulas and stuff all you want, but I, this is one that if I'm predicting it on paper and I'm just going off of what I see and what I feel, this is not going to happen. Kentucky only has a 40% chance to win on the road at Ole Miss and Oxford. I'll just say this right off the bat. Ole Miss this season, I think, is going to take a little bit of a step back. I don't think Lane Kiffin's got what he wants in quarterback there. I think that he was looking for something through the transfer portal and he got Jackson's dart, Jackson Dart. Uh, he's I, From what I've seen, what I've heard does not look like Kiffin is comfortable with that quarterback room. And so I, I really think that that's important for him. I really think that's important for that team. Defensively, they were much better last year. I question what they're going to do this season. Uh, and offensively, they lost Jeff Levy. That's a huge loss. The offensive coordinator there to uh, Oklahoma. A lot of retooling going on for Ole Miss. Uh, I think Kentucky is the better team. I think they have the better coaching staff. I think they have the better quarterback. Oxford is not a difficult place to play. Uh, I, I feel like this, uh, if it were me, just me, no numbers, just me, 
probably closer to 50-50, maybe 52-53% in favor of the Wildcats. I would have that, them winning that game, and I'm going to have them winning that game whenever we do schedule predictions. All right, I'm going to continue along here, try and move quickly. Kentucky has a 76.5% chance to beat South Carolina. That makes sense there. It's at home. We don't really know what Shane Beamer is going to do in year two. Mississippi State, Kentucky has a 63% chance to beat uh, the Bulldogs, and I can only kind of chalk this one up to after seeing what they did to Kentucky last year. Okay, well, I think ESPN's FPI is just kind of assuming, well, they are the better team. Statistically, they're better, and I don't really know a whole lot of what really goes into their model. I've looked at it before. But yeah, I, I think this I think this makes sense, but you also got to take into account what happened last season, and Mississippi State's just such a hit and miss. They're just such a hit and miss team. Here's another one for you. Tennessee on the road. The next game after Mississippi State, October 29th. Kentucky's favored in this game. So you're telling me Kentucky's not favored at home against Florida. They're not favored on the road against Ole Miss, but they're favored in Knoxville against Tennessee, arguably the third best team in the East, maybe the second. They got a Heisman sleeper down there. 52.6% is what ESPN's FBI predicts. They they give Kentucky a, a borderline 53% chance to win this game. Now, it's close. Don't get me wrong. It's close. But if you were to tell me out of Florida, Ole Miss, and Tennessee, those three road games, which one would the opponent be favored by 60%? I would say Tennessee. I would say, yeah, give, give Tennessee a 61, 62, 63% chance to win that game at home against Kentucky. We saw what happened last season. That offense can do damage, and they've got guys back. That surprises me. So, so far, Kentucky has taken two losses, according to ESPN's FPI, to Florida and Ole Miss. They have one, two, three, four, five, six. So, currently, they are six and two on their schedule Heading to Columbia, Missouri, they've got a 70% chance to beat the Missouri Tigers. That makes sense there. If that rush defense is as bad as it was last year, I think Kentucky's going to find some consistency later on in the season. That'll be a game where you may see the offense really click. So 7-2. and two. You've got Vanderbilt at home. Do I even need to read it? 94.8% chance to win that game. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold on. So let's, let's just be clear here really quickly. Let's not skip over this. So Vanderbilt is November 12th. They've got a 94.8% chance to win that game. And, then, and Kentucky only has a 93.3% to beat Miami, chance to beat Miami of Ohio. They've got a better chance of beating Vandy than they do Miami of Ohio. Oy vey. Oy vey. All right, Georgia. This is the matchup that I really wanted to kind of touch on here. So the Bulldogs have an 83.3% chance of beating Kentucky in Lexington. Last second to last game of the season. Kentucky's only got a 16.7% chance to win this game. I'm thinking it's more closer to 35 or 40, guys, at least on paper right now. And by the time that game rolls around, I think it's going to be I think it's going to be closer in Kentucky's favor. That that is a game that we are going to continue to watch. We're going to continue to keep an eye on, going to continue to project what could happen. Uh, as long as Kentucky doesn't take two or three losses before November. All right, final game here, 70.9% chance to beat Louisville in the Governor's Cup at home. That makes sense. So, again, to recap, ESPN's FPI believes Kentucky is going to lose to Florida, Ole Miss, Georgia, but they are going to beat Miami of Ohio, Youngstown State, Northern Illinois, Ole Miss. Wait, am I tripping? No, 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 excuse me. They will not beat Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mississippi State, Tennessee, Missouri, Vanderbilt, and Louisville. So that is a 9-3 and three record. Again, three losses to Florida, Ole Miss, 
and Georgia. That is what ESPN's FPI predicts. Nine and three, really, really solid season. Kind of replicating what happened a season ago. You look, <laughs> man, I, this is why I don't understand ESPN's FPI. You look at the Florida, the Ole Miss, and the Tennessee games, right, as kind of like, mm, those are going to be tough. I just, I cannot believe that ESPN's FPI believes that Tennessee is the most winnable game out of those three. October 29th, maybe it has something to do with what Tennessee's doing before that game. Pull up their schedule here real quick. No, they they play UT Martin the week before. Yeah, they play UT Martin. Well, they play Alabama two weeks before, but still, you get a week to recover before you play Kentucky, a team you beat last year. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand that. But anyway, that's what ESPN's FPI thinks of Kentucky. They currently have them rated 18th in the power index. They have Kentucky going 8.2 and 3.9, so basically 8 and 4, but their FPI predicts 9 and 3. They lean towards that. They give Kentucky a 97.6% chance to get to 6 wins. They've got a 5.9% chance to win their division, which I can just go ahead and tell you looking at some of these other SEC teams, it's a lot higher, a lot higher percent chance to than uh, some of these other teams. They've got a 0.9% chance to win the uh, the conference They've got a 1% chance to make the playoff. They've got a 0.2% chance to make the national championship. They've got a 0.0% chance to make or to win the national title. That is the lowest percent chance out of anybody in the top 20, uh, for those of you wondering. And also, I mentioned this yesterday, Kentucky, according to the FPI, has the weakest schedule in the SEC. Not just the East, but the, the, the SEC period. They are 31st nationally. Interesting stuff there. All right. Want to talk about Kentucky's future roster, a brief breakdown of it. Before we get to that, though, I just want to remind you guys out there to please subscribe to the podcast. Would really, really appreciate it, either on YouTube or on you know Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen. Would also really appreciate it if you left a five-star review for the show. That would be huge. All right, wrapping up the Wednesday edition of Locked On Kentucky, Lance Daw here with you. A lot of football talk recently. I love, I love going through projections and predictions. We're going to continue to do that here on the show. Kentucky's future roster. Okay, so we've talked a lot about recruiting on the basketball trail as well here recently on the show. And I know that there's been a lot of discussion about Kentucky building this super class and kind of getting all these four and five star kids. But I kind of want to look into the future and kind of just dig into, okay, why is Kentucky doing this? And I think most of you know, but if those of you out there have not thought about what the uh, roster will look like after this season, stick with me here. The players that could be gone or are definitively gone. Severe Wheeler, the point guard, he will be gone. Kaysen Wallace may be gone. We're going to lead towards him being gone. Chris Livingston, same thing. Jacob Toppin, he's going to be gone. Oscar Sheebway, going to be gone. So there's five guys there that could be gone or will most likely be gone. Coming back or potentially coming back, CJ Frederick, he's got two more years of eligibility. He would be a redshirt senior. Uh, based on my understanding, next season, he could come back, probably will. Damian Collins may be back unless he transfers. Lance Ware may be back unless he transfers. Antonio Reeves has two more years, may be back unless he transfers. Adutier is going to be back. He's going to be a sophomore. So you got five guys coming back, five guys departing there. You look at who Kentucky has already added. Robert Dillingham, point guard. Combo guard Reed Shepard, who was absolutely balling yesterday against Bronny James, if you didn't see that. Built different, Reed Shepard. And then small forward Justin Edwards. That's what Kentucky has added. So you look at the needs for the Wildcats. Just to go over it here quickly. 
At point guard, you kind of feel set. You've got Rob Dillingham. You've got Reed Shepard. You could rotate him in at point if you need to. We saw just this past, la- uh, past uh, I guess, high school event against Bronny James. You could see you could see Reed Shepard can line up off the ball, on the ball. Really, really talented kid. He's going to get minutes. But you could see him at the point. Those three guys, Thierro, Dillingham, and Shepard, I would really, really like to be honest with you. If Thierro transfers, which I hope he doesn't, um, or if Kentucky just really doesn't like their options behind Dillingham at point, you get a transfer guard, an experienced guy that's comfortable either splitting minutes or coming off the bench. That's a possibility. So Kentucky doesn't really need anything at point guard. At shooting guard, I think you've got it covered. Frederick, Shepard, and Antonio Reeves. Perfect. You've got three guys there that you could rotate in. That's more than you could ask for. Justin Edwards and Antonio Reeves at small forward. Maybe you want to transfer. Maybe. Don't know about that, though. Again, this is projecting Chris Livingston going. And we're getting to a point here in a second. So as we work our way down, power forward. You may have Ron Holland. You may have Ron Holland. Arkansas lean right now. Everybody knows it. But you may get Ron Holland. If you don't, Damian Collins, Lance, where... Barring somebody transfers, if somebody transfers, you get a you you get a transfer. Go out there and get one. And then this is the biggest need for Kentucky. At least this is pre Uganda Kingsley commit to the Wildcats. We don't know if he's going to yet. They need a center. They really really need a center. So the other day I was I I said something to the effect of finding an Oscar Shebway replacement. One of you took offense at that in, in the comments. I'm not saying like a replacement that's going to then produce like he did. I'm just saying finding somebody to replace him in the starting role at center. Somebody's got to do it. And right now I do not like the idea of putting Collins or Lance Ware there. I do not like that idea at all. No. No, we're not putting a six foot nine forward at center. That's not happening. I don't think Kentucky's going to do that. You get Kingsley six foot eleven. I really like what you got there. Potentially, if Kentucky picks him up, or Aaron Bradshaw, if he wants to commit too. I mean, I, I genuinely don't know what what Bradshaw is going to do at this point. But we'll just have to see. If Kentucky gets Kingsley, they still should look for options in the transfer portal. Even if they get Bradshaw, I'm going to be honest with you. I just we need some length. We need some height, guys. We need some height in our front court. And Kingsley at six foot eleven and Aaron Bradshaw at seven feet. I, I mean, you like that. You would love to have it. I just don't know if Kentucky's gonna get it. Just don't know if Kentucky's gonna get it. So yeah, that's the outlook for the for the for the Wildcats. Obviously, DJ Wagner is somebody that uh, could be potentially to committing to the Wildcats after uh you gonna Kingsley. We don't know. We're just gonna have to wait and see. Strong Kentucky lean there, though. So we'll probably come back and look at this roster again. But yeah, you've got point, you've got point figured out, right? You've got shooting guard figured out. You've got small forward, may want to add a third guy, could be Wagner. You've got power forward, maybe figured out. We're going to have to see what happens there, like Damian Collins, if he does continue to grow this offseason, or yeah, this season, excuse me. And then at center, you've got some problems. You have to find somebody to pick things up after Sheway leaves. And I'm not saying somebody's going to come and produce like he did. You just got to get a body in there, and I would prefer him not to be six foot nine, because not every six foot nine guy that you find out there is going to be able to rebound and, and and play as well as Shibway did last year. You've got to be able to find not just one guy, but several. You've got to find some depth there. That is really, really important to me. Man, I'll be important to Kentucky. That we'll see what happens. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. Really appreciate you guys listening. Again, if you've not subscribed to the podcast, please go ahead and do so now. I'm trying to get to two K before the start of basketball season. You can follow the show on Twitter at locked on UK. You can follow me on Twitter at Lance underscore. And you can follow the show on Instagram 
at Kentucky Podcast. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day and God bless.